Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. All the noise in FX this week is being made by the dollar and the euro as monetary policy divergence beckons. But has anyone noticed what's been happening to the Remnimbi? Quietly but surely, the People's Bank of China has been engineering a further depreciation in its currency. Will it have the same effect as the shock fall in August that sent the market into a tailspin? Welcome to Hard Currency, the FT podcast that takes a deep dive into the week's events in FX, the world's biggest market. My name is Roger Blitz. This has been a week when, on top of another sharp upward move in the euro-dollar exchange rate, the oil prices again sent tremors through commodity currencies, and central bankers again complain about the market misreading their signals. But it's data out of China and a noticeable move by the central bank that really catches the eye. China's FX reserves in November fell by the third biggest monthly fall, trade data made for depressing reading, and the PBOC shifted the reference rate for the renminbi to its lowest level in four years. With me to discuss the implications of this is Richard Benson, co-head of Portfolio Investments at the investment manager Millennium Global. Richard, the renminbi is on the way down again. Does that matter? It definitely does matter, but it shouldn't be a big surprise. China needs to ease policy. China is trying to shift its、uh, economy from a export-led to a domestic consumption, more high-value-good-led economy, and that transition process seems to have been somewhat overcooked. Growth is below where they expect it to be. Therefore, they need to ease policy, and easing the currency is a key part of that. Now, the renminbi has fallen what by about five percent since that August shock. What's the direction it's likely to to head towards? So, if we look at the forwards market, the one-year forward has a little under five percent priced over the course of the next twelve months compared to the U.S. dollar, and it's important that we address it against the U.S. dollar because what really matters for China is not renminbi against the U.S. dollar, but the real effective trade-weighted currency appreciation or depreciation of China to get that easing impact. So, we're there already that five percent. So yeah, the forwards have a five percent price. I think that seems to be quite reasonable.、Um, the reason markets panicked in August was the exogenous shock, the poor signalling by the central bank, and the implications it had for macro risk markets. Markets don't like exogenous shocks; they don't like surprises. This move has been well telegraphed. The economic data has justified it.、Um, perhaps what is the most notable thing is that the weakness we've seen this week, which has been more acute than in the last three or four weeks. Has occurred when actually the U.S. dollar has been weakening on a trade-weighted basis. So the weakest currency ex China in the last week has been the U.S. dollar. The Chinese currency has been more weak than the U.S. dollar. So that's why I think we're talking about it now, and it's been so noticeable in the last week. Yes. Does the renminbi continue to alarm investors in general? I'm trying to get an idea about whether it's simply it's not just it's not the level, but the pace it's it's going at that 
that investors want to care about. Yeah, I think you know a five percent trade weighted currency movement shouldn't scare anybody in any currency if that occurs. Uh, we've moved five percent in the last week in the euro against the dollar, uh, by way of example. What really scares people is if China is to tip into recession. Yeah. By Chinese recession, I mean a sub four percent growth Chinese world. I don't think that's likely. I think the policy administration is looking for a six and a half to seven and a half percent growth China. The reality is we're probably running something like five and a half to six percent growth at the moment. That is why we're seeing easing. Easing in the currency strength or weakening the currency is part of that process and makes total sense. So it really depends on whether you think China is going to have a hard landing or a soft landing. So the fall in the renminbi doesn't really tell us either of those things, does it? No, I think it's also important to address when it is occurring. So China is desperately trying to liberalise its currency. Inclusion in the SDR is a key part of that. They've achieved that. They can tick the box and move forward now. That was achieved at the end of November. So as part of liberalising your currency, you need to allow it to move. So allowing it to weaken by 5% on an annual basis is quite rational and normal. And in the region, there are presumably opportunities if uh, the nobody is going to depreciate. Yeah, I think very much so, because if we look uh, in the region, I say that the forwards have about 5% price, so there's little alpha to be extracted from that. But if we take, for example, Singapore, where about 20% of the Singaporean currency basket is actually pegged to the spot China currency rate. Um, so irrespective of whether the monetary policy of Singapore ease policy, the growth realisation in Singapore relative to Chinese growth slowdown, combined with Chinese currency weakness and its liquid transparency to the US dollar, means for us there's a greater opportunity in dollar Singapore than perhaps there is in dollar China forwards, and also perhaps in Korea, given trade and export exposures uh, to the region as well in Korea. Okay. And the other aspect of the rebalancing of the Chinese economy is, uh, as the trade data told us this week, is a great deal of flooding in the the commodities market, of a great deal of raw materials that China has been uh, gathering up in recent years, and that has a knock-on effect on commodity FX. The question is, is it any different to what has been going on, say, for the past 12 to 18 months, or is there something more significant about this week? No, I think we've had sustained overcapacity in the industrial sector in China. We saw that quite clearly in the trade data this week. And what's perhaps a little bit different now is some of the typically commodity-linked currencies to those metals, iron ore vis-a-vis the Australian dollar. That correlation has broken down quite acutely in the last month. That's because there's been a re-rating of domestic rate expectations in Australia. Um, That is probably broadly played out now. And actually, if we think about the Australian dollar, it's one of the few currencies which is actually overvalued on a PPP basis to the US dollar. So the sensitivity of Australia at these or lower levels in metals as we look forward from an economic and a growth perspective is quite acute. Okay. Let's come back to euro. This issue about the signalling of central banks to the market. Uh, We had the Austrian central bank member of the ECB, Evald Novotny, have a go at the market for misreading uh, the ECB's signals. My question is whether he's right or not. Something is really very wrong between the relationship, in, in the relationship between central banks and the market, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've had very big challenges this year. You mentioned the ECB. We can go back to the SMB in January. No, where Let's not do that. <laughs> uh, the Bank of England has its own challenges. Yeah. You know, Mark Carney's expression of interest rates being into sharper relief at the turn of the year. Luckily for him, he didn't mention the turn of which year, mm-hmm. because actually markets have that price for the turn of next year yeah. now. The key thing is, I think, for me, 
Central banks don't have to tell the market what they're going to do. They have clear mandates. They have expertise. They don't have to tell the markets what they're going to do, but they damn well do it, don't they? Well, they probably are. They, they lead markets with a narrative, yeah. which is rational and is open communication. But the problem is if you lead them with a narrative and the market movement, i.e. financial market conditions, starts influencing or downplaying the implications of what you're doing, mm. you have a virtuous circle of feedback loop. Yes. And you end up with the tail wagging the dog. The central bank should be the dog and the dog should wag the tail. Uh, how's this going to change? It looks like both sides have got to cool down. The central banks have got to stop over-communicating. The markets have got to stop overreacting. Yeah, I think it's a pendulum, like most of these things, we've swung too far in one direction right now. What makes it particularly difficult for central banks is the importance in the cycle of financial market conditions at the moment because we're at the zero bound, because the importance and that relative movement of financial markets influences policy so much. Next week, most likely, we exit the zero bound for the biggest central bank in the world, the most meaningful central bank in the world. I think as we move through 2016, Fed normalization will enable central bankers to be more open about the growth inflation mix as a driver of policy. So, so you mean they're going to change the content of what they talk about? They're going to talk, be much more talking about inflation. I thought they were pretty much talking about inflation all the time this year. But, but is the content of what they communicate going to change? I think the simplicity of what they'll talk about will change. I think it'll be, will be more simple. They'll be more simple and they'll talk about the growth and inflation mix, which is their mandate. And that will transpire over the course of the year. And I think most importantly, the second half of next year is where actually the inflation mix can be very different from where we expect. Uh, a number of the biggest central banks in the world are close to their Nehru, their uh, non-accelerating rate of unemployment. The Fed at 5% unemployment is perhaps only a quarter away um, from such capacity measures. The Bank of England, very close to it as well. So if we get labour markets forcing labour price pressures in the market, and then if oil was to have a simple reversal of this year's decline, we'd have very favourable base effects for an uplifted inflation in that's, the second half of next year. That's probably one of the biggest tail risks of next year, is it? Yeah, I would think so. And it's not priced. The 10-year Treasury yield is at 2.2%. The Fed is about to exit the zero bound. And the oil price is at 36 I mean, my view is I think that it's more the market's fault, this breakdown in the relationship, that the market is overreacting. But it feels like that's just going to get worse next year. A new world of monetary policy divergence is going to be one that the market simply hasn't seen for a long time. And therefore, it's just not going to know how to respond. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought uh, the market has learned a lot of painful lessons yeah. uh, this year, especially the SNB, I think probably the euro uh, of the last week as well. So uh, I think risk reward, certainly in foreign exchange, becomes a very powerful driver of positions, being more tactical about exposures, more dynamic in the weighting of importance of factors uh, will be the key to making alpha um, in 2016. Richard, let's just finish off by talking about what went on with the euro dollar this week. As you say, a big 5% move. Is this a blip? Are we heading back into the kind of the trend direction of lower euro? We're all talking about parity. If it is a blip, why was it a blip? It was a blip because positioning was over its skis. Because to use a skiing analogy, people were off piste. Right. The traders in emerging credit were short euro dollar effects because it was such a clear and visible story. At the end of the day, the ECB cut interest rates, and next week the FOMC will raise interest rates. The FOMC raise, I don't think, is fully priced in markets. Certainly the fixed income adjustment is fully priced. 
the adjustment in very vanilla interest rate differentials between Europe and the US changed only by about 10 basis points compared to these overcooked expectations. I think it was purely a positioning-led uh, movement. We probably moved about double of what we should have done now on the basis of the information. The quantitative FX community, the algorithmic traders, the trend models are forced and winders based upon price. But as the dust settles, I think it's very clear and very visible. The most powerful driver of currencies over time is central bank policy divergence. And we see much more room for that as we move forward in the next week and in the next six months. If you're an FX investor, should you get really excited about next Thursday and the opportunities, not after immediately after next Thursday, but the start of 2016? I think it's steady as it goes. I think uh, FX Alpha is there, that we've got sustained higher levels of volatility in markets, driven by uncertainty, and these are driven by economic fundamentals. So I think the prospect for FX returns in 2016 is high as a function of this differentiation. But I think the dynamic nature and the tactical nature of exploiting that uh, is something which will be the main challenge for FX market participants in 2016. Excellent. Richard, looking forward to 2016 already. Thanks to Richard Benson, co-head of portfolio investments at Millennium Global. So it's Fed hike next week, as we've been discussing. At least that's what we're all expecting. For the build-up to that event and all the implications for FX, please go to our website, ft.com forward slash FX. And as ever, do let me know any thoughts you have about FX or this podcast by emailing me. I'm on roger.blitz, B-L-I-T-Z, at ft.com. Join us next week again for Hard Currency. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. It's presented by me, Patrick Jenkins, the financial editor at the FT, and I'm joined by a team and an external guest every week. You can find this every Tuesday at ft.com slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.